Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I'm Dr. Renee Frazier, a psychologist, entrepreneur, and advocate for women. Delighted to have you on our show today. You know, we are uh, coming out of COVID and the pandemic, and I've been doing a lot of reading to better understand how do we deal with this era? What do we make of the learning that we've gained from the pandemic? And how do we become better at what we do. Uh, as you all know, the show is about how do you lead and succeed. And our our sub-theme is why women. So I like to focus on why women have been successful, what women can do to be better, and encouraging women to ch- step up to leadership and to success. But as I reflect on what's happened as a result of the pandemic, I see the importance of mental health in much greater relief than ever before, not just due to the social inequities, but I think the level of anxiety so many of us have experienced, will I get sick, am I going to get sick when a loved one is ill, creates a certain amount of turmoil in your life, and that is debilitating. As a psychologist, I know how low levels of anxiety and certainly high levels of anxiety and toxic stress can have an impact on your mental well-being and your physical well-being. I don't have a solution, but today we're going to be talking with a coach who can talk with us as leaders, as business people. How do we improve? I'm a big believer in having a growth mindset. How do I grow? How do I get better? As opposed to saying, oh, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. I'm never going to change. As you all know, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. So I want to bring on my guest today, who is a coach with a tremendous amount of experience. We'll be talking about leadership, about employee engagement, about the chaotic period in which we live, uh, about emotional intelligence and ways we can be stronger and better for ourselves, for our families, and for our people. So we can make our community stronger and ourselves stronger, despite all the issues that we face in today's world. Michelle DeAngelis has 25 years of experience delivering results and creating peak performance for companies. And she has been engaged with over 600 leaders in the uh, the business world throughout her career. I am a personal friend of Michelle's and been so impressed with the way she guides people, her insights, and she understands what it takes in a large-scale operation or a small company to be a a leader that others emulate and desire to follow. I want to talk about those key learnings that she shared with us today. We're lucky to have her on. Welcome to the show, Michelle DeAngelis. Renee, thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you're here, Michelle. I, I'd like to start the show with a little bit of background. Uh, could you talk to us about why you've chosen coaching and what it means to you, why it's important? in Because in, I know you've done it with intention. Thank you so much for that. I, in, in some ways, Renee, I feel that coaching chose me. Um, I started as uh, I had a, a very... Um, fulfilling career at Bank of America headquarters for six years, and I made a decision to leave to improve my quality of life and start my own business. And my first client was B of A, which was great. So I had a consulting uh, practice for a few years, and one of my clients, not um, having anything to do with banking, had um, a tremendous need to build leadership in his company. And I had even then, 20 some years ago, been a student of leadership for already 10 years. 
following, you know, Tom Peters and Warren Bennis and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the, the whole cadre of well-known leader, um, thought leaders. And what I found was when he was asking me to do things, it wasn't really consulting, wasn't really advising and informing. Uh, it wasn't really telling. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but I mean, consultants are retained to mm-hmm. uh, bring their insights and to help direct results. And I ended up coaching um, 20 of his leaders in wow. that first year. And but I didn't that was we didn't even call it coaching then. It wasn't about that. But what it was about was what you said in your intro, how to be an e- a leader whom uh, people want to emulate and respect and and really how to generate followership and by being an empathetic and savvy and attuned leader and generate results for the company. I like that, Michelle. You know, I'm going to say two things. Uh, you know, the definition of a consultant is the person you hire to take apart the watch and then tell you what time it is, you know, because they just repeat. They do a lot. But in your case, it was really elevating people's capability because the other thing uh, I have learned in business is very often as a leader, you don't have power, but you have influence. You cannot tell people what to do, and and truth be told, that's not a good style anyway, but you have influence. And by sharing with people what the objectives are and what the desired outcome is, they decide to go along with you, right? And that's uh, a a critical thing, I think, particularly in today's world where – I have another phrase I use. Nobody wants a sage on the stage. They want a guide by their side. So that's the kind of coaching you do, right? I'm going to steal that, Renee. That's so good. That's uh, absolutely apropos. I, you know, one of the things that I learn as I've gone through this, and I, I toggle uh, back and forth with different clients. Am I consulting or am I coaching? And when I'm, um, when I'm coaching, I'm really working with that individual on a confidential basis to help them work through whatever their fears and obstacles and hurdles are to be at maximum peak performance. It's great because people need to be able to share what their issues are. Absolutely. Right? And, you know, you take it home and you give it to your wife or your husband. It's like burdening them. Uh, and, you know, they talk about it being lonely at the top because uh, you have to have this bravado and this confidence and this optimism, uh, even though it may not be genuinely there. So how do you help people with that? Well, uh, it, it's a great question. And I do see so much of that. I mean, we're all human, right? And, and, the, and the work I do really deals with the whole entity, the whole human. It's not just the professional um, persona mm. that, that I deal with. And several years ago, Harvard Business Review had a fantastic study where they went very deep on, you know, what is coaching? How can it be valuable? And it wasn't only driving business results or how to be the most amazing leader. That was a huge part of it. It really was investing in the inner life, mm. the inner centered state. They they initially started calling it mindfulness, which I'm sure your audience has heard of. 
But then they they kind of went away from that and went to intentional, which intentional. I know, yes, right, and because they it wasn't about spirituality or meditation or certainly you know any kind of religion. It was really about how to strengthen your inner self so you have an amazing core and confidence from which you are making big decisions that affect the entire company. I think it's so important for people to think it through from their uh, their, their own personal needs, but. What's the definition of intentional leadership? It is being very present to the moment and being able to call on your own strengths, sometimes your own vulnerability, to bring to the situation to actually add value. So it's being very present and aware of your desired outcome and how you can be of value. I love that. When I talk with Michelle about issues in life, she'll often say, tell me, what is your desired outcome? (laughs) I'm a broken record on that. (laughs) She is. And it's wonderful because when I hear it, I... It clears my mind. It's like I said, okay, you're right. What is it I really want? Because you, often you're thinking about the forest you're in, right? The issue, I have that person is mad. This other person is, I'm not going to be able to get it done on time. I've got these other, you've, your mind is so clouded, you don't see through to the present moment. So th- that's a great centering question to say, what is it you really want to have happen? And and thank you for that, Renee. One of the things, if if your listeners could walk away with my my quick tip du jour, is um, that is part one of three steps that I would encourage everyone who's in a leadership role to keep in mind. First one is, what is your desired outcome? And that is, how do you want to leave people thinking, feeling, and acting? It's different than you know the the purpose or your internal motivation. It is really how you want to leave other people thinking, feeling, and acting, which is significant when you're leading thousands of people or or even three people. It matters. You're right. It really um, does matter. And being cognizant of the feeling. Uh, so one of the things I've been working on lately is being, not just doing, that I have to think about how I'm being and how I'm making other people feel in the place. Because you're right, it's easy to just say what you want and get it out of the way. And that's what the typical leadership is. But in reality, if you want the people to feel a certain way, you step back and you change even the way you might frame an issue, right? Absolutely, which is a perfect segue into the second step of my three steps for today's tip. Um, In addition to know your desired outcome, it is know your audience and meet them where they are. Do not show up where you are. So it is acknowledge. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It's all about um, having your audience, whether it's one person or many, know that you relate to them, that you appreciate them, and you acknowledge their contribution. And that's very different than I'm showing up with my agenda. That is really different. And, uh, you know, good leaders have to do that. You have to be mindful of the other person and where they want to be. I want to remind people that they're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier show, Why Women. And we're talking with the renowned coach who has so many years of valuable experience, Michelle DeAngelis. We're talking about these two tips. There's a third one to come that we'll cover in our next segment. What is your desired outcome as a leader to Ask yourself that question. As a coach, she has done that with me, and I've realized, okay, I have to see through all the issues. What is it I really want to accomplish? But the most important thing is thinking through 
what I want to leave people with, how I want them to feel. And the second tip is know your audience. Meet them where they are coming from. And I have to say, in this era, it's difficult to know because we're meeting so often on Zoom or on Teams. You're not in the room getting coffee together where you can sense they're tense or they're upset or they're laughing in the hallway and you, you know they're in a good jovial mood. Something positive has happened. We have none of those signals coming to us. So it's very difficult. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about the third step in this tip from Michelle DeAngelis. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women, on KABC. Welcome back to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. On this show, we talk with experts to help us be better at our jobs, better as human beings, and be able to contribute more to our families and our community. And in this context of after the pandemic and the issues that we're seeing with mental health and all of us trying to do our best to be our very best, we have a wonderful coach, Michelle DeAngelis, on our show. And she has over 25 years of experience delivering results and creating peak performers. Michelle's been talking with us about the tips and ways in which three ways, three tips. I'd love to return to that, Michelle. Do you want to reprise the two that you covered and then share with us that? third one. Absolutely. So this uh, this is a formula or a rubric that I encourage a, a lot of my executives to use when they're caught up in the hustle and bustle of a day and literally running from one meeting to the next or one Zoom meeting to the next. And uh, it's, it's a very good anchoring tool to help them show up in the best way and get the best result from the meeting. So step one is what is your desired outcome? And desired outcome parenthetically means, how do you want to leave people thinking, feeling, and acting? So that's the first one, desired outcome. The second one is know your audience. And what that really means is meet them where they are. It is not about you showing up with your agenda. I mean, of course, you would always be prepared and know what you want to, uh, what you want to convey. But it's acknowledging the audience and meeting them where they are and having them feel appreciated in their contribution to the organization. So know your audience. Um, that was the second one. And show up accordingly, obviously. And then the third one is, what is the, how do you need to, how do you show up to get that outcome with that audience? So it's a kind of a circular process in a very positive way. And the the how you show up is, um, obviously, there are infinite executive leadership styles. Uh, but it's very, once you know your audience, it's a very purposeful, very intentional way of matching what your audience needs with your own delivery. How you show up, so how you present yourself, how you show your feelings, you know, it's, it's, it's important to kind of pause and think about that because so often you rush from one meeting to the next, right? And you're in this mode of just get it done. I got to finish what I'm doing, make it through the day. When in reality, you're saying, pause, think about it as a leader. How do I show up? How do I gain the, uh, uh, the respect, the engagement of everyone? And it, it really requires you to be intentional. So it goes right back to that intentional leadership, I think. Absolutely. One of the things I am often asked or brought in to work on is th- this mysterious thing called executive presence. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I think if, you know, if we ask 10 people, we get 
10 different definitions of that. And this intentional leadership is what lets people bring a greater executive presence. And and I she happens to be a friend of mine, uh, Suzanne Peterson, who's a professor at the Thunderbird School of Global Management, wrote a fantastic Harvard Business Review article about leadership style. And her definition of intentional leadership is, and it's I could elaborate, but the short version is, be powerful enough to be heard and attractive enough to be followed. Mm. So that's how I encourage a lot of my leaders to show up intentionally. You know, that's uh, really uh, noteworthy. I'm going to talk about that for a moment. One of the issues that we see in the literature for women is not having executive presence. And uh, this has been uh, stipulated in a number of articles where they look for women on corporate boards, women in leadership roles. And there's a a process of... uh, deconstructing that women's voices are higher than men's women tend to end with a question and go up in their voice all of those are signifiers of not being as serious and not having an executive presence and i'll just say sadly executive presence has been defined by a male mode of communicating slowing your speech down still talking fast but being able to be deliberate lowering your voice i'm watching the first ladies and eleanor roosevelt was told to lower her voice and i learned that early on in my career i would go into meetings being a short blonde young woman in the room and you know men's minds went someplace else they weren't in the room with us and i knew that i had to deliver a certain level of gravitas and stay real focused not uh, switch into humor switch into flirtation just be the friendly person in order to gain my own importance i had to put on kind of an armor and a role now that was a long time ago that was 25 30 years ago now i guess you can more be yourself but this executive presence is a tough one what do you advise people to do um, and I couldn't agree more with with what you just said about state of affairs and have how things have evolved over the decades and still more to go. So the advice that I give is is in often in response to the question, I'm told I need a greater gravitas or executive presence. But I, I, authentic is one of my core values. You know, how do I, how, right. how are you going to change me and have me still be uh, true to myself? So I really start from there because I do want people to be authentic. I, I have a, a Latinx um, C-suite client who, um, just to give you one example of many, who um, was committed to rising through the organization and she has done so and she's... You know, I mean, she reports to the CEO and she said, and I'm not going to change my voice. I'm keeping my accent. Mm-hmm. Good for her. And I'm like, I, it would, it would not cross my mind to have you change your voice, your accent. That is a part of who you are. Let's look at three other things that, and so she had gotten some feedback. You're just not senior enough. And she was doing what you referenced, which is, um, asking a lot of questions. Questions are fine, but rather than making declarative statements. Mm -hmm. So um, it's tricky for me as a coach because I am typically not in the room when Mm -hmm. these meetings are happening. Mm -hmm. But we did a 360 feedback on her and I got some very good input about what she was doing wrong. So that's my advice is I be yourself, you know, hold dear and fast to what 
is um, immovable, what is you know non-negotiable, mm-hmm. and let's look at some other areas. So often declarative statements. Um, I find clients tend to have a challenge lowering their voice, but knowing when to stop talking, like and 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 this is not just women, but it certainly applies to women. It, it, know when to stop. Absolutely. Make your point. Say fewer words. Absolutely. I, those are uh, really great pieces of advice. I have a, a, a client friend who was seeking advice for me, and uh, she was so proud of herself because she was curious, and she asked all these questions, and she felt like that was uh, kind of her persona in the meetings. And uh, she asked for advice as she wanted to be elevated in the role. And, and I said, I hate to say this, but I think you have to condense what you say and ask fewer questions. I have a rule, and I'm older, so it's a different situation. I try to only say three things in a meeting. Part of that is because I want my clients and my employees to be able to voice, and I don't have to be the, quote, smartest person in the room. But I think it's important that you be judicious about what you ask, right? That Because otherwise it can be perceived as you're flighty, right? Or you're not listening. You're not paying attention. And declarative statements, good advice. It could be, I'm observing this situation in our company. Or the data tells us that the, you know, the customer feels this way. That's a declarative statement where you're stating a fact, an observation that's relevant to the dialogue, and it shows you're bringing knowledge. If you're constantly asking questions, it's like, well, what does she or he bring to the table. And the other thing is to prepare before the meeting. Come in with some exact thoughts that are declarative statements. And I have to say, Michelle, probably another thing you're going to tell us is you don't start the sentence with, you may have already thought of this, yeah. or I'm No sorry. hedging, no modifiers. <laughs> no yes. modifiers. We as women do that. We've been trained, right, to be nice, to ask for permission to offer our advice. When in reality, you just say it. Believe me, I have to like swallow those words because they naturally come out of me. Uh, and I, I notice I still have to do the same thing. I, In addition to um, being an executive coach, I also operate as an interim leader and do a lot of work on uh, post-merger integration. So I, I have to be very aware of what hat I'm wearing, what mode I'm in, and, because they, I show up differently based on uh, the role that I am perceived to be in for that engagement. Good point. Good and, point. And uh, so it could be even uh, a woman who's on, you know, in a, a very strong and high leadership role in a company, maybe she's brand new to a board. Maybe she's just been invited to, uh, and she doesn't want to come in and steamroll everyone. Right. So not, you know, so there's a way to, way to do it. Another point that I just want to raise while we're talking about intentional leadership style is that it's, it's not just what you say. It is also your nonverbals. And there are so many markers that women typically, I'll say, do that don't serve them. And it, what, What's it, an example? An example is um, frequently, and, and I'm chuckling because you and I both, both do this, but frequently nodding mm-hmm. as though you're implying agreement, even though you may not be in agreement with what the person is saying. Right. Uh, it, it could be uh, taking a lot of notes because then you're perceived more as the secretary or the scribe. Oh, my goodness. Than as the, the leader. Um, it could be leaning in because that's a... That's a All the things I do. Well, All the things I do. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Heavens. <laughs> um, it, it, and it could be there's a time to lean out. It's not don't do this or do do that. It's modulating 
how one shows up based on the, you know, the circumstance and the audience. I will often see leaders choose to, I'll say, manage up or play up to a more senior audience Mm -hmm. versus with a more junior audience. They'll kind of wield their authority. And that's the opposite and that is so the opposite of what one uh, can gain additional benefit from for the company. So. That makes so much sense. Uh, we're going to have to talk about why we fall into that trap. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier show, Why Women? And we're talking about the issues we face as leaders in today's environment. Uh, Michelle's just given us some great advice. I want to talk in the next section about how we do all of this intentional leadership and our poise and our presence, even when we're all on Zoom. And then what does it take to engage? As you mentioned, managing up versus managing down. Let's uncover a little more about that in our next segment. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women on KABC AM. This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. We're talking about how we lead effectively, but also with our whole person. We have a wonderful coach, Michelle DeAngelis. Michelle, you just told us that some of the physical signals we send to people uh, that might not behoove us to be strong, perceived as strong leaders are leaning in, nodding taking notes. Those are all the things I was taught to do and I enjoy doing. Tell me more about that. What can we do better? How? Absolutely. So I'll I'll break it down into, uh, and this is from that Harvard Business Review article I mentioned, uh, came out in 2021, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, on intentional leadership style. And they, they broke down um, leadership style into, into, I'll say, two categories. One is powerful. One is attractive. It's not that one is good and one is bad. They are equally good. What they did was they further broke those down into behaviors. And as a coach, I'm a behaviorist. Uh, I, I often, when people say, well, what does that mean? It's like we are going to develop actions that you begin doing or things you stop doing that impact how you show up as a leader and how successful you are. So the powerful and attractive, they, you know, powerful doesn't mean. It also doesn't mean bad. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not good nor bad. It's mm-hmm. it's um, like it's a description. So I'll share with you a, a couple of the markers of powerful, uh, and I think you will see that certain people come to mind when when you hear these. So powerful. If you're a bit more formal, you are um, a bit detached mm-hmm. in your responses. You take up a lot of space in the room. You have an expanded personal space, often viewed as the head of the table, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, People who have a powerful style do a lot of interruptions and talking over others. And of course, I counsel people not to do that unless that is viewed, unless that gets a merit badge in your executive leadership team. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of like table stakes. People, it's it's more of a free for all. It's a normal thing, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Gestures, you know, directive gestures, finger pointing, that's considered very powerful, right? Um, and, and as you said earlier, no note taking because somebody else is going to do that. I'm over, I'm busy over here being powerful, right? So what's in the category of attractive? Sure. So, uh, more informal, 
um, speaking style. So uh, as opposed to, you know, it, not that it would be Mr. or Sir or anything like that, but it's very, it's more casual. Yes, yes. And um, I've had some people describe it. It's a little bit like you're having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with someone instead of being in a meeting with them. So it's just a little more informal. So this is attractive. So if you have someone with whom you work who responds well to an attractive and engaging style, a warmer style, then do these things. Absolutely. Because you're speaking their lingo, That's right? right. They'll like you. They'll um, want to be part of it. Right. Exactly. And want to give their best. So uh, empathetic responses, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I understand that must have been hard for you. Taking turns in conversation instead of interrupting. And and it's so fascinating to watch this. And on, when I am included in certain meetings, often the coach is not. But when I'm um, in, in an engagement as a consultant, of course, like for me, it's like I have a playbook for the room. Right. Watching, watching. what's Scoring happening. Scoring each it's, person. That was attractive. Right. That was powerful. They went on offense. You know, <laughs> she was caught on defense. Um, and the 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 constant nodding. And I happen to be a nodder. I, I have to watch it when I'm uh, in meetings, because I am indicating to people, I, I hear you, I get it, I understand. The minute I stop nodding, I can tell the other person starts working a little harder. Uh-huh. So it's it's an interesting right exchange, right um, dynamic, right. And then I guess just to say a bit more, the um, on powerful versus attractive, the powerful people, interestingly, tend to lean backward. They tend they don't. Uh, they're kind of making energetically making the room come to them, uh-huh. if you yeah, will. Absolutely. And um, very typically very serious. They won't joke around. One of my favorite bosses when I still worked in corporate America, and he was president of a very large bank, had a fantastic sense of humor. And I admired him for that because it, we were going through so many different acquisitions. It was a terribly stressful time. We had a lot of employee attrition. And, and there was only one other woman in the room, you know, because I was fortunate enough to be on the leadership team. And he had a mastery of humor. Ah. And that is an attractive trait, not a powerful trait, even though he was the president. I love it. I love it. I think it's important to, to be able to uh, conjure up some of those skills. And we often go into meetings without any plan, right? We're just here. I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow up where you're saying be intentional. Uh, th- think about how you could be powerful in the meeting. Think about how you can be attractive. Now, the attractive part, the empathetic, the building, the relationship on Zoom, that's like the first stage of everything you have to do, right? You have to show uh, that you're interested in what people have done and you want to know what and you have to find a common ground. Is that what you recommend? I mean, even even to be powerful, if you if you just start with, OK, we're here, let's get started. It seems a little off putting. Would you agree? It, it is. And I, I do think Zoom is a barrier to professional intimacy. And I, you know, in, in, I mean that above board it, it because you are missing so many signals. You are missing so many markers that you could be observing. And one of the things I, I have a client, you speak of empathy. I have a client when I started working with him about six or eight months ago, and he described himself <clears throat> as 
a person with no empathy. In fact, empathy in him was a black hole. Oh, my. <laughs> and he wanted to develop his empathy. And, and, there, and I said, well, why do you want to? You haven't wanted to until now, and you're 53, you know, <laughs> okay. so why do you care? And he said, because I want to be a CEO in the next few years, and that is going to be what keeps me from it. Oh, very smart of him. And yep. um, so, of course, we're we're working on that. One of the one of the tricks that I use is if people have children, uh, is to how to cross pollinate what they do with their kids. That is typically empathetic, right? To the workplace, and so that's a it's just an interesting hack for a way to have them tune in or or yeah tune in to empathy. Um, in on in a Zoom context, what's been interesting because they have like most of the galaxy moved more to a hybrid and, and more often in person environment, mm-hmm. is he the same leader needed to have a very difficult conversation with one of his employees, and he absolutely would not do it on Zoom. He made the trip to which was across the country to this specific employee because he wanted her to have the benefit of his caring as demonstrated non-verbally wow and he also wanted to be very clear that she was uh, a priority to him and he wanted to experience her in in person in person Mm -hmm. that's really important Mm -hmm. that he was willing to travel across the country to be there showed he valued her and i'm sure he scored points even though it was a difficult Difficult. conversation Mm -hmm. you know I, i i have found throughout my career that knowing my clients as people their families their situation has really benefited me and my business but I count them as my friends. I make notes about the ages of their kids. I uh, I make a note if I know their birthday. And I go out of my way to follow up. You know, I, I was in Sacramento recently with a woman, and I know that she's an active soccer player. She's in her late 40s, and she has a 9-year-old son and uh, or 9-year-old daughter and, like, a 25-year-old son. She had a baby when she was very, very young, and she's very open about it. And so I talked to her about this. First thing I opened with was, are you still doing the soccer? It's a community soccer league with the families coming. She loved sharing. You could see she just lit up. And I was excited for her that through the pandemic, she was able to do that. It created a a bond right from the start. You know, then we went into more serious things. And I could be that powerful leader where I articulated, you know, with declarative sentences, some of the observation I'd seen in our business and changes that we were making. But I found that... Um, I, I, I guess I feel as a woman, I want to be light. I want to be attractive and I want to be empathetic. I don't want to be this cold, austere. When I was growing up, there were a lot of women that were that way. Mm. And I think I overcompensate. Maybe that's a mistake. What do you think? Oh, no, I think it's part of your core value to be engaged and caring. I mean, genuinely, yeah. I think it is just it's it's a part of your DNA. Well, and, thank you. Um, I do. And so I don't feel and people. I believe, and in the story you just shared, sense that from you. So if, if let's just say you were having it for fun, you were having a meeting with my client who is the black hole of empathy. <laughs> he would think you were wasting time. <laughs> he would. Truly. He and would. And he'd be like, okay, well, let's get down to it. You know, let's get uh, get down to the agenda. And 
you would feel like you maybe weren't quite connecting with him in the best way. Right, exactly. That would be my signal. At, uh, and that's happened. You know, like you can, you get a sense, particularly on Zoom, where people's eyes are going to their emails, et cetera, mm-hmm. and you quickly get down to business. It's a, always an interesting uh, dilemma as to when do you bring up the agenda and get down to business. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to have both sides, as you're saying. I completely agree. And um, I have I have um, encouraged this, this same leader to begin Every meeting with a something this sounds like pablum to you, but what was the best thing from your weekend? It wasn't how your week was your weekend because then you'll get crickets. It was every each of you. What was the best thing from your weekend? I like that. And and but when they've done the round robin, then he gets right to the agenda. That's so. That's it's at least a start, right? It's at least it's a start, (laughs) and it and and I'm sure it sounds genuine, but he's working on his empathy Mm -hmm. skills. Mm -hmm. You know, Michelle, this has been so helpful because I've learned to. Really be cognizant of when. what's my desired outcome. How do I leave people thinking, feeling, and acting with that kind of in mm-hmm. my head? Uh, I want to talk about employee engagement in our next segment. What are the techniques we can use as leaders to make employees feel engaged? Uh, because I came to a realization in my uh, my last uh, trip, that up, trip to Sacramento that I'm going to share with the audience. I hope a lot of leaders learn this because we're so focused on productivity that may not be the lens we should be using. So in the next segment of the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, you're going to hear us talking about employee engagement and my epiphany as a leader about how to run my company. And we'll be bringing Michelle DeAngelis, a super coach, back with us. So stay tuned to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. We're talking about how we lead with intention with an expert, Michelle DeAngelis. At the last section, we talked a lot about this notion of being a powerful leader versus an attractive leader and what it would take to do that. Michelle was sharing from this wonderful Harvard Business Review article. And I mentioned that we'll talk more about engagement with our employees in this next segment and that I had come to an epiphany. One of the things... I run a company of uh, about 30 people, advertising and marketing firm. One of the things that I have been focused on is productivity. Everybody working from home, are we making sure we're getting the most out of people? And uh, we, you know, we have timesheets, so I have the ability to look at utilization and billable hours. And I was focusing in on that with my uh, director of finance, trying to figure all of that out. And it suddenly occurred to me that I shouldn't be focused on how much I get from everyone. I should be focused on how I get the best out of everyone. And that I have to trust that's going to be the most. I've got to go after the best. What can I do to help them? What can I do to collaborate more? How can I elevate what they're doing that's the best? And then know that they're going to fill their time. And I I shared that with my leadership committee. I think everybody was on board. But you're I'm going to be held to the test with Michelle as I as I execute on that. So that's my my knowledge of my, my epiphany around engagement with the employees. Or my job is to be of service to them. My job is not to rule them. And I think that's probably a good quality in leadership. But I wanted to. I, I'm taking a lot of notes on how to be a powerful leader and exhibit those skills, and then also how to be an attractive. And I I think I overemphasize 
always attractive and empathy. And as you said, Michelle, that's in my my core values. In this segment, we're going to talk about uh, engagement and we'll turn to the chaos and the change that we're going through. But what do you recommend for leaders to stay engaged with their employees and to, I don't know, encourage engagement so that they feel committed to the work? Uh, it's engagement with each other as like team members, but also let's get this done, kind of having a positive attitude toward their work. My favorite thing that you've said in the last paragraph is that you are there to be in service to them. Yes. So my my. You know, I, I guess I have a, a, a two-pronged message f- about engagement within companies. And the first is listen and really listen as if you care. And the second is provide clarity because engagement is how personally invested people are in their work and in the company. And those who are the most engaged see a direct connection between their work and the company's success. Mm. So it's, and you'll hear, you'll hear this. Uh, I actually got chills saying that because I, I have all these examples that I think of when people, when that switch flips on, it, 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 you'll hear them talk about it as if it's their company. Ah. And, and of course it could be, um, you know, it could be Microsoft. It could be what it, it's, uh, it's not literally their company, but they feel that engaged and connected. You know, I love that because that's what I want from my employees. And I, it's funny because as the owner, I feel um, it's like it's my job. It's my job to make sure enough money comes through the door. It's my job to make sure I make payroll. It's my job to bring in the new things. And that's foolish. I've got a whole team of people, right? It's all of our jobs. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of one of the so there are, there are many things about engagement. There are many companies who um, provide assessments and software platforms to measure it. There are there so there's there's a lot, uh, and there's there's of course big business around engagement because it's been proven that the higher engaged uh, employees really do contribute to productivity, creativity, uh, better customer service, all the thing you know, lower costs, fewer bad decisions. You know, so that there's a business case for engagement. One of the things that I see companies um, do wrong, and, and of course I won't name names, but some of those engagement assessment companies put all of the onus on the, the client company. Um, and, and you'll see this in some of the questions. Um, is, is it clear what my priorities are at work? Do I uh, make a difference in my day-to-day? Uh, is, is my boss giving me what I need? And they're very, very carefully worded equation mm-hmm. uh, questions, almost like for a focus group or something like mm-hmm. that, because you need a baseline uh, c- to compare year over year. And what I find wrong about that and what I'm seeing a lot more engagement assessment companies start to do is putting it in the power of the employee. Hmm. So it's not, is my manager doing X? Is it, it is rather, did I do my best today to X. Uh-huh. And it because it's much more empowering. So um, Marshall Goldsmith, who's probably one of the most famous exec, definitely one of the most, if not the most famous executive coaches, he's worked with um, literally every significant business leader. He uh, so I'm borrowing this from him. He says the questions. So, Renee, this would apply to your company and I'm sure your listeners. The questions to move from kind of a blame 
my company isn't doing enough stance to an empowered ownership stance are as follows. Did I do my best to set clear goals for myself? Did I do my best to make progress today toward achieving those? Did I do my best to find meaning in my work? These are all questions (laughs) empowering the employee to show up more engaged, making more of a difference, and not blaming the company. Right. So, and, and there are many more other examples, but that gives but you But I few. like that idea. It's did I, did mm-hmm. I do enough? Did I uh, set my goals? Did I complete it? And um, I like that because obviously it shares the responsibility and theoretically em- empowers them. But as a, as a boss or as a leader, I think you have to then also reward. Wow, I like the way you established the objectives and made it happen so they feel like you're seeing inside of them what you want them to have right absolutely you have to recognize it i do agree and i uh it's not that you know the the company is powerless to increase this level of engagement of course it's uh the company has a role and that's why i was saying if if i were talking to every leader about engagement it would be listen and then provide clarity um because people do want to be heard and acknowledged and um, tended, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the provide clarity part, you know, this is such a time of volatility in uh, in our, well, in our, I'll say in our world, right. certainly in our workplaces. Yes. And there's a concept called VUCA, which uh, I'll, it's, I, I could talk about it for three hours, but... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break off for one second. Sure. We're going to talk about VUCA. It actually came from a military term. Mm-hmm. I've given a couple of speeches on this, but Michelle has given it so much thought to how it applies in our world. So what does VUCA stand for? It stands for volatile, complex, uh, uncertain... And ambiguous. Ambiguous. So all characteristics. So tell us about what can we do? That sounds like our world today. It is. Absolutely. So uh, the and you are absolutely correct. Um, sounds like you know more about it than I do. VUCA did start uh, after the Cold War and then was was really, I'll, I'll say, resurrected as a result of 9-11 and increased terrorist attacks. Because if you think, if you're going to define something that's, you know, high in volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, that would certainly uh, fall in that category. And so volatility, just, I know we all know what those words mean, but just to apply it to our our work um, conditions and settings these days, volatility is a, a, an exceptionally high and unpredictable rate of change. So rate of change. Uncertainty is you, is, is you do not have clarity about the present. That was one of the reasons I said about engagement is one of the things a company can do is provide clarity. Complexity, multiple, uh, you know, it's like four-dimensional chest, multiple key decision factors. And ambiguity, you know, lack of clarity about what something means. Oh, those are clear. Now, tell us, what do we do about that? Because I like those definitions, and I can envision experiences in my life that reflect that. Ambiguity, lack of clarity, et cetera. And so it's important for the leader to provide an antidote to that. Uh, and, and this is not limited to leaders. It could also be the employees. But often the leaders are the ones who have the the view and the vision from 30,000 feet. So there's a concept called VUCA prime. It's the opposite of VUCA. And it's like the antidote, how to flip it, how to flip that V-U-C-A, you know, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity into 
uh, things that are productive for employees. And it's provide vision. So the V is vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. Mm. And it's it's very – and oftentimes this revolves around a dialogue or a conversation. It's not so much a canned speech. But those vision, understanding, clarity, and agility, anything you can do to provide those in your organization is – you are on your way to the antidote to VUCA. I like that, Michelle. I'm going to have to remember that acronym a vision, understanding, clarity, and agility, and apply that. You know, I th- what you've taught me today is really to be much more thoughtful and intentional about my leadership style, how I show up, and what my presence is with my employees. And I, I started the show with a discussion of how difficult these times are. There's underlying tension, anxiety, things we don't know about that are going on in people's lives. Seems to me it's a time when we as leaders have to step up our game. Absolutely. And it's a good good chance to learn and think through what you're doing. So thank you so much for being on the show. You've been listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women? And we've been talking about how to be stronger as leaders and how to lead with both the performance as well as the attractiveness, the powerful style and the attractiveness style. Michelle, can you give us uh, the way people can find you in case they'd like to bring you in as a consultant? Absolutely. I'm at um, michelleinc.com. Michelle Inc. And that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Inc.com. You've been listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can hear this show and our other podcasts at fraziercommunications.com. We're a full-service advertising and marketing firm, still working hard on critical issues. Check out our website, fraziercommunications.com. Have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show.